Hey, Pastor Josh here. Thanks so much for watching our videos. If you'd like more information about Legacy City Church, you can go to LegacyCityChurch.com. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell below. God bless you. We are in Matthew chapter 9 in our Bibles, Matthew chapter 9. And we have been working through a series I've titled Jesus Worldview. Jesus Worldview. I want to see what Jesus has to say over and over and over again. Why? As I was just discussing with one of the brothers before I came on stage, my heart, this default setting of my heart and mind seems to be me. And when the default setting of my heart and mind is me, that will grow into something we call selfishness. Thinking about me, focusing on me. You want to get depressed and bummed out? Just think about you all day, every day, all day, every day. Me, 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 my, my, my. Now, now, now. You want to be joyful? Here's the acronym, J-O-Y. Jesus, others, then yourself. Jesus, others, then yourself. I want to get focused on him because my mind and my heart naturally want to steer away from him and my mind and my heart are naturally consumed by all the the information in the world that's coming at me non-stop and so this morning again we turn back to his word a true north the compass for life to be turned back to him once again to be refreshed and encouraged and brought back to true north over and over and over again in repetition you know if you're if you're on a boat, you're sailing out in the ocean, you're going fishing or whatever it may be, you know how easy it is to rock a different direction and how often the boat has to adjust or the captain has to keep steering back towards that true north or wherever they are going, steering back over and over and over again. This is why we hold to the word of God over and over and over and over and over every week because during this week we just drift. We come back to true north over and over. I want Jesus' view. Jesus view. We're in Matthew chapter 9. We're going to cover verses 35 to 38 today. This is sermon number 45 through the book of Matthew. How are you only in chapter 9? I don't know. We'll talk about it later. The title of the message today is The Lord of the Harvest. The Lord of the Harvest. Heard of a story of this 85 year old couple having been married almost 60 years. They died in a car crash. And they had been in their good health in the last 10 years, mainly due to their interest in health, food, and exercise. When they reached the pearly gates, St. Peter took them to their mansion, which was decked out with a beautiful kitchen and a master bath suite and jacuzzi. They oohed and awed, and the old man asked Peter, how much is this going to cost? And Peter says, it's free. It's heaven. Then they went out to the back to survey the championship golf course that the home backed up to, and they would have golfing privileges every day. Each week, the course changed to a new one, representing the great golf courses of the earth. The old man asked, what are the green fees? Peter replies, this is heaven. You play for free. They went to the clubhouse and saw the lavish buffet lunch with the cuisines of the world laid out. How much to eat, the old man asked. Don't you understand yet? This is heaven. It's free, Peter replied. Well, where are the low-fat and low-cholesterol tables, the old man asked timidly. And Peter lectured, that's the best part. 
You can eat as much as you like of whatever you like, and you never get fat and you never get sick. This is heaven. With that, the old man went into a fit of anger. He threw his hat on the ground and started stomping on it and shrieking wildly. Peter and his wife both tried to calm him down, asking him what was wrong. The old man looked at his wife and said, this is all your fault. If it weren't for your blasted bran muffins, I would have been here 10 years ago. <laughs> your neighbor will explain it to you on the way out if you didn't get it. We live in a broken world with broken people. And check this out. We actually have the answer, the medicine, and the cure to all this brokenness. We hold it. The pearls of great price. The treasure in the, in the field. Who a man sold everything to, to buy that field so he could have the treasure. We actually hold it. If you had the cure for cancer, would you hold it back? I'm not going to tell anybody, actually. Nope, not going to tell a single person. We have the cure for death and sin and eternity. Life. We have the cure for depression. We have the cure for life in that abundantly right now. The Lord has given it to us. That was his mission. That's why he came, and we're going to hold it back. Do you see somebody hungry and you have plenty of bread, won't you share? Are we not just beggars coming to another beggar just saying, hey man, do you want some food? Are you hungry? How can we not bring the good news to the world full of bad news? We've got a world full of bad news, huh? And we have the good news. We have it. And why have we been pushed into a corner here in Los Angeles to which we feel we can't even share the good news? We're nervous as to what people might think or might say. Do you not realize it is the key to their heart? It is the key to their mind. Whether they receive it or reject it, you too know what I'm talking about because it was once me, it was once you. Not receiving the message of the gospel, not understanding from the other side. But now we stand on this side and we see that it is life. That it's the best news in the universe. And how in the world can we hold it back and act as if we don't have it? Today we see Jesus' heart and burden for the people. And he challenges his disciples to have that same heart. We are in Matthew chapter 9. We're going to read verses 35 to 38. Can we stand for the reading of God's word? Let's stand for the reading of God's word. Let's remember whose word this is. Verse 35 says, And Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his 
harvest. Let's pray. Father, you are the Lord of the harvest. And we pray to you and ask that you would raise up laborers to bring in the fruit, to bring in the harvest. We ask, Lord, that you would please move on your church, move on your people, and send out laborers to bring in the harvest. Would you ignite us? Would you open our eyes and our ears? Would you reveal to us the mission again as to why we are on earth once again, why you have us here, what you have us to do? Help us not to miss it. Fill us with your spirit, we ask now, as we study your word. Show us your truth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Chapter 9 has shown us Jesus' authority in healing people and bringing clarity to what he has come to do. And Matthew summarizes it again in verse 35. He says, Jesus went through all the cities and villages in the Galilee, in that area, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction. Jesus went from city to village teaching and preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. And then he showed them the kingdom of God by healing every disease and affliction. He spoke about the kingdom of God, his work of salvation on the earth, and the new covenant he was bringing. Then he demonstrated it in real time. It's beautiful. Really a show and tell experience. Calling people to love God and then love one another. He says, I want to show you what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's a different culture. It's a different way. What if we all got on a plane and went, to went on vacation to heaven for a week? What would the culture be like? What would the atmosphere be like? Once we've experienced it, then we come back down to earth. What would we tell people? The kingdom of God is like this. And Jesus says, the kingdom of God is here. It's now. I am here. I'm making it happen now. And he starts to show them the way. He says, watch this. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's where people are raised to life spiritually. Where there's no more sin. There's no more death. There's no more disease. That's why I'm going to heal. That's why I'm going to raise up. Where there's full belief in God. So much so that we love God with all of our hearts. And we love one another with all of our hearts. That's the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus is trying to bring it down to this earth now. We are to bring the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, into L.A. right now. How do we do that? It's simple, by loving God with all of our heart and loving the people around us with all of our heart as well. Loving your neighbor as yourself. You love yourself, don't you? No, I don't. I, don't. I actually hate myself, people say. Really? Who's the first person you look at when you take a group picture? <laughs> Do I look okay? Oh, that's a terrible picture. That's a terrible, really? Everybody looks great in it. No, no, it's a terrible one. Trust me, we're not posting that one. <laughs> oh, we love ourselves. We want to make sure we are fed first. We are taken care of first. Me, me, me first. But the kingdom of heaven is so different, it's so backwards, it's so upside down from the earth. 
It's not a place of domineering and crushing and stepping on those around you to get ahead. It's a place of laying down your life and serving one another and exalting others above yourself. Loving your neighbor as you love yourself. The true display of God, the true display of love for God is that we would love those around us. That's all Jesus was doing, was was he not? He went into the villages and just loved people had conversations with them, getting, getting them to think about putting away the religion of man and calling upon God and true relationship and discovering what real love and truth is and how to live that out. And then he displayed it, show and tell. He said, let me show you what the kingdom of heaven looks like. You see this centurion, this Roman, this enemy that you guys don't like? You see this tax collector that you don't like? You see this woman with blood that no one will pay attention to? Let me show you what the kingdom of heaven is like. I'm going to take care of them all. I'm going to blow your minds. I'm going to love people you would never love. I'm going to serve people you would never serve. And that is the kingdom I am bringing. Matthew, the author of this book, also has experienced the kingdom of God himself once an enemy of God, and the people in town as a tax collector, he was a mob boss, sinner, now loved and served and led as one of Jesus' sheep and followers. Matthew describes this love he and others were experiencing in verse 36. When he, Jesus, it says, saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The Lord Jesus did not look at the people as we do sometimes. Can't these people get it right? Look at all these sinners in this city. What's wrong with these people? Lord, deal with them, we think sometimes. But aren't you glad that the Lord Jesus didn't deal with you as you would like him to deal with others sometimes? Praise God. He could have dealt with us Terribly, huh? This world is so mixed up right now. We have some of the greatest divides, I mean, I've ever seen. And literally both parties shouting to the other, deal with them, deal with them, deal with them, strike them down. Somebody take care of these people and deal with them. Why? Because they don't have the same ideology as we do? Look at how Jesus dealt with people who didn't have the same ideology, who were learning about the kingdom. They had no clue. The text says that he had compassion on them, praise God. Oh, wait a minute. Let me look closer at the text. It was me in the crowd that he was having compassion on. It was me who was not thinking like him. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Yeah, Lord, get all those sinners. Verse 11, Paul says, and such were some of you. Such were some of you. It was me. But you, we, were washed, sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God, praise God. He did not leave us out in the cold. He did not look down on us as we look down on others. 
He welcomed us into the church. He loved us and served us into the kingdom. How is it that God would save the Christian killer? Who is that? Saul of Tarsus. Jesus himself shows up and stops him as he's on his way to go in prison and kill Christians. And Jesus himself, in the book of Acts, it says he shows up and gets in his face and says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Why do you kick against the goads? And the Lord Jesus saves that man. And do you know who that is? Saul of Tarsus, the Christian killer? He is the apostle Paul. The man who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament Bible. He has written more books in the Bible than anybody in the Bible. He is potentially the greatest apostle who has ever walked the earth. And Christ went after him who was an enemy of God. We've got to be careful. My eyes do it too in this city. That person, this. I can't believe they're doing that. Don't forget who we are. Don't forget who we were. And Christ had compassion on us. So let us have compassion on others in this town. They are sheep without a shepherd as we were. Today we are thankful God for some reason has been gracious enough to save us and forgive us. Why do we deserve this? Why me, Lord? I'm not more special than any other human on the planet. Why me? Why, Lord, would you reveal this to me earlier in life? Give me the opportunity to minister and to love and serve people. Why me? I don't know. Why did I get that burden? Why do I get those gifts, talents, and abilities? I don't know. But I'm thankful. Verse 36, the second half, it describes Jesus' compassion because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The religious leaders put burdens on the people that they could not carry. And people were taken advantage of. They were truly sheep without a shepherd, just wandering. And you know, sheep are really dumb sometimes, aren't they? They need to be they need to be led. They need to be told where to go. They need to be told what to do. And the religious leaders could see this and they took advantage of the people. And there are still people doing this today. Still taking advantage of people on the earth. Still being manipulative. Still hurting people. Trying to steal their money. Trying to steal the power. Trying to steal the fame. Trying to do all kinds of things to manipulate people in a certain direction for their own gain. Jesus looked upon these people and had compassion on them. Point number one, if you're taking notes, compassion moves us. Compassion moves us. It is the moment when you look upon another person in life and realize that could be you now, or that was once your situation, and somehow you made it out. It's when you feel deeply for another person's trouble. Sometimes you can literally feel what another person is feeling. You ever been there? You can like feel their pain. You, you, you look into their eyes and you're going to see them breaking and you start breaking for them. Compassion moves us to want to love, comfort, and help another person, human to human. And sadly, we are losing that on the planet because of all these issues, the media riling everybody up, getting everybody fired up. I dare you to do a test. 
Don't look at any news for seven days and come back and talk to me. Just don't look at any of it. I dare you. Just, just turn this thing off for seven days. I dare you. See what happens. Yeah, they went to the Amish, and they're just like, what's going on with the Amish? Why aren't you guys affected by all that's going on on the planet? They're like, huh? <laughs> what's going on? They got no TV, no phone, no newspaper, no nothing. They just continue on farming. Interesting. Pride stops us from feeling compassion. Pride tells us, I was in a rough situation too, and I pulled myself out so they can do it too. They don't need help. The problem is no one has pulled themselves out of the dark nature of sin. Nobody. God alone has done this for us because he had compassion on us. And because he has done this for us, who were once his enemies, we then should do this for one another. How can the love of God be in us if we are not compassionate people and hurt with those who hurt and help those who need help? Compassion moves us to act in a situation. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Be tenderhearted. Be kind. Forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. Colossians 3.12, put on then, put on this sweater, put on these clothes. Are you ready? As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. After all, this is who our God is. Galatians 6.2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens. By the power of the Holy Spirit, do you have the ability to see beyond the surface thing that's going on in a person's life and look to the heart of their situation and see they're just hurting and they're broken and they don't know what to do? I get it. Sometimes when a person cries wolf, so many times it's hard to find compassion. Or sometimes people use their situation as an excuse to never grow or move forward. And that can be frustrating too. But don't forget that we have all been in those situations and praise God that he has been patient with us. We've all been in those situations. And God has been patient. Jesus saw the religion that was being thrown upon Jerusalem and was burdened by it. He saw broken people who kept messing everything up and it moved him to action. Jesus said this about what they were doing in Matthew 23, 4. They tied up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. They built out this huge law and tried to make everybody keep it. Like, you got to do this, got to do this, got to do this, got to do this, got to, oh, you're not doing it right. Okay, you, you're, you're not qualified. You're not good enough. You can't do it. The whole purpose of the law, Jesus would say, is I came to fulfill it and to show you that no one can fulfill it except for me. It's to declare to you that all people have sinned and no one is perfect. Thus they need Jesus, who is the perfect Savior and wants to give you perfection and righteousness so you can get to a perfect place called heaven. 
You have to be fully dependent upon Jesus in order to get there. You can't do it yourself. That is the entire gospel. We need Jesus to do it. And he has done it, praise God. He's fulfilled the law for you. Every single rule. He fulfilled every single one. And then says, hey, look at what I did for you. Here you go. Here's your ticket. For me. But what about all that dark stuff that I did? I actually died a terrible death on the cross for you and paid the punishment for all that dark sin too so you can be forgiven and it be wiped away and you can walk into heaven. Pure, blameless, and because of Christ, perfect. Only perfect people get to heaven. Then I can't go. Me either. But Jesus has lived a perfect life and paid for your sin and given it all to you up front. You say, why would you do this for me? He says, because I love you. That's it. You're my son, you're my daughter, I love you, I'm for you, I love you because I love you. And I give you this gift because I want you to be with me forever and eternity. You say, Lord, I gladly live my life for you. This is not a burden. I'm not trying to fulfill a bunch of rules and regulations. This is a relationship with my God, with my Father. I want to walk with him in life through. Matthew 23, 37, Jesus said about his burden, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often I would have gathered you as children, as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you're not willing. Jesus wanted to gather them. His heart and his compassion, his desire was to love this city, even who was killing the prophets. Regardless of their response, the Lord still had compassion on them and felt bad for them. It's amazing. They were a wandering people with no shepherd, no direction, and Jesus wanted to be their shepherd. This compassion moved Jesus, and he wanted it to move his disciples. Again, point number one, if you're taking notes, compassion moves us. When you have compassion for another person, it actually moves you emotionally, mentally, physically. But you need that compassion first. Jesus wanted his boys to have that compassion. Verse 37, take a look in verse 38. Then Jesus said to them, his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This is awesome. The compassion of the Lord moved him to say this to his disciples. He says, boys, get over here. Disciples, listen up. I want to tell you something. Get in here. Bring it in. The harvest is plentiful, meaning there are plenty of people hurting. There are plenty of people harassed and helpless. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers to gather the harvest are few. There's only a couple laborers who will do it. Now, when I, when I was looking at this this week, that this was my passage, I about fell out of my seat. This is sermon number 45 through the book of Matthew, and there is no possible way I could have gotten this passage to land on this Sunday. 
This scripture, this is the scripture that moved Pastor Greg to call his church Harvest Christian Fellowship 30 years ago. And this is the scripture that moved Pastor Greg to start Harvest Crusades, which is happening tonight in Angel Stadium. 40, this is sermon number 45. It's almost a year worth of preaching. I could not have planned this Sunday with all of the, the extra weeks that I was gone and all these things going on. It mag- when I saw it, I'm like, this is the passage. This is the passage I heard growing up at Harvest all the time. And then it magically dawned on me that tonight is Harvest Crusade. And that Pastor Greg is, and with, with thousands of other servants and volunteers, are the laborers who are going in there to reap and bring in the harvest for the fields are ready. Unreal. It, it, it is so coincidental that you think that I planned it. I know. I thought I planned it too. I'm like, this is, this is impossible. I, I wanted to post it on Instagram because all the, the hundreds, thousands of people at Harvest that I knew would have all commented on it, but they all would have thought, dude, you made that up, dude. You like fully planned it. Even doesn't matter how much I say, I did not plan this. I did not know. It just so happened to land on this day. They all say, you're just doing that for a like. <laughs> so I didn't post it. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. What does this mean? The harvest is speaking about farming. It is the season when it's time to pick the fruit, the harvest, the wheat, to bring in the crops. It's that season. You know, how many of you have fruit trees in your yard? Not very many in LA, I know. <laughs> uh, we finally have fruit trees because I bought like eight of them and I put them in, at the house, but. Uh, it takes forever for the fruit to come in. You're just waiting and waiting and waiting. You wait for the season. You wait year-round for the harvest time. Tomatoes are kind of fast, which is cool. You just throw them in the ground, like in three months, like, boom, you got tomatoes. You know, it's great. But you wait for that moment of harvesting so that you can pick it and enjoy it. And Jesus talked more about this in John 4.34. Jesus explained, he said this, powerful statement. Listen how deep this is. He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. He's like, my sandwich, my steak, my Wheaties in the morning is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. What I eat every single day is to do the will of him. This is my food, to do the will of him. That's what I feast on, to do the will of him who sent me. This is my meal. This is what I consume. This is what my body needs. It's to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Verse 35, do you not say there are still four months until harvest time? Jesus says, I tell you, lift up your eyes. Look at the fields for they are ripe for harvest. He says, I know you guys think it's only still four months before harvest time, but I'm telling you, look around. It's harvest time now. Jesus tells his disciples, look, boys, look at the fields. Look at the people in the city. It's harvest time. The fields are ready for picking. They're like, Lord, but that's a lot of people. There's like 10 million people in this county, 4 million in our city of L.A. 
That's like 100,000 acres of harvesting, I know. The laborers are few, he says. We need more workers. It almost seems like the Lord is saying, it's already, we just need laborers to go out and bring in the harvest. Where are the laborers? It's all just sitting there. Like the fruit is going to go bad and the season will be over if we don't gather now. Can you imagine looking out at a field? There's a bunch of people starving in the town next door. And there's a field just full of food. All you have to do is go and pick it and bring it to the people. It's just sitting there. Everybody's like, Maybe somebody will do it. I, maybe that guy over there will do it. The harvest is ready to be picked, but the laborers are so few. Family, we've got to bring in the harvest before the season is over. Anyone who wants to be a laborer can be. Anyone who is able. Isn't that great? This is the problem, no one wants to labor. On the job site, no one wants to be the laborer. I labored in construction from like 16, 17, 18, 19 years old before I actually got to uh, play with the tools. <laughs> Your job is to use the shovel. Your job is to use the broom. Your job is to dig that hole or sweep that up. Your job is to move that wood. I'll never forget my boss one day. I thought he was just messing with me. He's like, I want you to take that pile of wood, this mountain of wood, and by yourself, I want you to move all of that over there. What? Literally, five or six hours, I'm just picking up wood and just moving it over. Nobody wants to labor. It's lame. I want to use a nail gun. I want to run some wire. I want to do something fun. I want to play with the torch and do the copper. No one wants to be the laborer. No one wants to pick the fields for hours in the hot sun. But when you do, there is great reward. Romans 10, 14, how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? How can they believe in him if they have never heard about him and how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? What in the world, church, are we doing in a city? The harvest is ready. We got 10 million people sitting here and the laborers are few. No one will even talk about their faith in this city lest they be canceled. What are you scared somebody might be saved? What are you scared somebody might come to church? Why are we so nervous about this? We have the cure for cancer. We have the cure for death, depression, anxiety, relationship with God. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. You wanna know why? For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's for everyone. And it is the message that actually saves. We have grown comfortable. And there is a field that is ready to be harvested and everybody's just kicking back saying, who's gonna go do it? Can you imagine if we all picked up the tool 
and went after it this week. So, you know, I'm going to share with that person. I'm going to invite that person to church. I'm going to send them a Bible. I'm going to take a step, tell them to listen to this song. I'm going to take those steps of faith like I've been thinking about doing for a long time. I'm going to start praying that God would raise up laborers. I'm going to start praying that God would bring me opportunity. Lord, would you lead me to somebody today to pray for or to minister to in this city? Would you lead me to somebody today to lift up and encourage? Anybody, Lord. I'm ready. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Point number two, if you're taking notes, prayer motivates us. Compassion moves us, but prayer actually motivates us. Jesus tells us, did you see that in the text? Look at the verse. Verse 38. He tells us to pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. I never saw this before. If we need more laborers, we need to go to the boss and ask him to hire more guys. Um, sir, um, sir, this is like 100,000 acres, and I cannot harvest this entire land by myself. Boss, we need more laborers. Would you hire more men and women? We need to get out in the fields. we got to get picking. We need more. Ask him to hire more guys. We need to pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out more people. Interesting that prayer is the key to more laborers. Did you see that in the text? Like, I'm going to go motivate a bunch of dudes to get on it and let's go labor together. That's part of it. But the actual key that Jesus says is that we should be praying to the boss, asking him to hire more people to get on the field and bring in the harvest. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. And he uses the word earnestly. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. Persistence in prayer not only moves God to action, but more importantly, it moves me to action. Let me say that again. Persistence in prayer not only moves God to action, but more importantly, it moves me to action. Prayer gets us in the game and brings realization to our hearts and minds of the reality around us that people are living in sin and depression apart from the God who made them. That people are dying on their way to hell for eternity apart from God. The process of prayer changes our hearts to be more like him. The very process of prayer. In the process of praying, watch this. What happened if you start praying today? Lord, raise up laborers. Lord, raise up more people in the city. Lord, let's bring in the harvest, please. Lord, hire more workers. Lord of the harvest, please. In the process of praying to the Lord of the harvest for more laborers, we realize we are the labor we are praying for. We are the ones being called to go and bring in the harvest. Interesting. As we pray, we come to realization that we are the laborers needed. Your heart is so burdened and so burdened and so burdened by this specific thing in the city. And before you're praying to God, please, Lord, raise up somebody to do it. Please, Lord, please raise up somebody to do it. And magically it becomes you. You see how that works? We are the ones being called to go and bring in the harvest, but we have to pray prayer 
actually motivates us. And I'll confess, we need to pray more as a church. We need to be a people of prayer. We've got to figure out how to do this as a church, as a congregation. Spending time, sure, we set aside to fast and pray tomorrow, but I'm talking about even setting aside more time in our service on Sunday to start begging God to do something in our city. Is the text real? Is it true or not? Jesus says, point blank, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into this harvest. That's what he says. If he is the Lord and he is giving us the magic key, why in the world wouldn't we start doing that? When's the last time you prayed that God would raise up laborers in the city? When's the last time you actually shared the gospel with somebody in this city? When's the last time you invited somebody to church? When's the last time you talked to somebody about your faith in this city? What has happened that we cannot even open our mouths? Point number three, and finally, the Lord of the harvest calls us to go. The Lord of the harvest calls us to go, Mark 16, 15, and he said to them, to his disciples, you ready, boys? Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Every creature! I don't think this is a suggestion to Jesus' disciples. This is a command. And guess what? These disciples actually followed exactly what he said. And they went into the world and they preached the gospel to every creature. They went town to town and they just started preaching the gospel everywhere, spreading the seed everywhere. They just started going for it and let the harvest start to come in. I love this. When I was living in Mexico, there's a man out there who was uh, training us to be pastors, teaching us to pray and all the rest. And I remember I would walk out in the middle of the desert in, in Mexico, out in the middle of nowhere. And this is kind of farmland. And so I remember walking by uh, this cow one time and I was praying and just spending time with the Lord. And I remember looking at this cow and I'm thinking like, dude, are you not one of God's creation? Excuse me, sir. Let me to preach the gospel to you right now. I was thinking to myself, like, hey, cow, has the Lord walked by here anytime? Have you seen him walking around here? Has there been any angels come by? He just mooed. What do you think about this? Every, cre every creature, all of, cre all of creation bows down and worships God except for humans. The trees clap their hands. The sunset declares his glory and sings for him. The cow bows down and exalts him as king. And here we are, running around, doing our own thing, building our own kingdoms. When's the last time you preach the gospel to someone? You say you don't know. Maybe you say, I don't know how. I'm going to teach you right now. As we close, I'm going to teach you right now. I'm going to give you five R's that you have to remember or memorize, and if you can write it down, you should do so. Just quickly, you can type it in your phone. If you can't do it now because you didn't bring anything, you can do it later. Come back and watch our YouTube channel later today. You can just rewind or fast forward to this, and you can find it. I'm going to teach you right now. Are you ready? It's five R's. Number one, realize. Number two, recognize. Number three, repent. Number four, receive. 
And number five, redeem. It's these five R's that will help you preach the gospel quickly and concisely. Realize, number one, realize you are a sinner. It's the key, step one to the gospel. We have to realize that we have fallen from God and that we are not living up to a standard, that there is a judge in the universe, that we have fallen short. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Realize you are a sinner. Number two, recognize the work Jesus did for you. Recognize the work Jesus did for you. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Realize that yes, sin brings death, but Jesus has made a way to life, and it is a free gift. Realize what he has done for you. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrate his own love for us, and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Realize that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection was to pay for our sin and to raise us to life. To save us from death and sin and raise us to life here now and in eternity. To help us to stop hurting and hating people and to start loving and serving people. Recognize what Christ has done for you. Realize, recognize, then repent. It's just an old word, an old military word that means to about face, to turn around. Change direction. Confess Jesus as Lord and believe that he is your Savior. So much that you turn away from sin and turn to him with all of your heart. Turn away from the ways of the world. Turn away from worshiping career and worshiping everything else on this planet. And turn to him and start worshiping him. Repent. Repent away from sin and now to God with all of your heart. Romans 10.9 Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, Lord over your life, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Repent. Realize, recognize, repent, receive. Number four. Receive the forgiveness and grace of God. Receive the gift of heaven. Say, Lord, I receive your forgiveness. I receive this gift of life. I receive this gift of grace in my life. John 1.12 says, But to all who did receive him and believe in his name, he gave the right to be called children of God. As we then receive him and receive his forgiveness and grace and the gift of heaven, we become children of God, a relationship with our Father, with God in heaven. John 11.25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live, even though he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, he said, receiving this by believing on him. Realize, recognize, repent, receive, and finally, redeem. Start living for God. Redeem life and use it for his glory. Stop living for yourself and start living for him. Redeem life. 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, what do you do? What do you do? What do you do? What do you do for a living? What do you do all day? What do you do all week? What do you do? Well, I do this. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Stop doing it for your kingdom and for you and start doing it for God's kingdom. Figure out how to make that work. Matthew 28, 19, go therefore, the whole mission of the church, 
Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and teach them, teach them, key, to observe what? The culture? No. Teach them to observe all that I commanded you, Jesus said. Teach them my commands. You're like, Lord, that sounds like a big, tall order. You want me to disciple the world, baptize them, and teach them the commands of you? Yes. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. He says this, don't worry. Lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus says, I will be with you to make this happen. Lord, I can't go into L.A. It's too big. I remember when Katie and I were driving Studio City, driving this boulevard here. I mean, like, how in the world are we going to get anybody's attention? There's like 10 million people in this city. How in the world will anyone find out? And how in the world will anybody show up? I didn't think it was possible. By the grace of God, Jesus has shown up and is changing hearts and minds. Amen? Realize, recognize, repent, receive, redeem. That's the gospel. You can't do anything to get your way to heaven. Did you know that? You can't pray enough. You can't knock on enough doors. You can't do enough Hail Marys. You can't, you can't ride your bike around the world and, and do a mission. You can't do any of that to get to heaven. You have to call upon Jesus fully to say, save me, and recognize that he did all the work for you. Put your full trust in what he has done, and he gives it to you as a free gift. It sounds way too good to be true, I know. But that's what traps me forever. I gladly stay in relationship with the God who has done this for me. We gotta pray to the Lord of the harvest. We're gonna enter into communion for just about 10 minutes here. We're going to worship the Lord and remember what he has done as we close today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the work that you've done. We thank you that you, for some reason, have saved us in your mercy. And God, we ask now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you raise up laborers here in this city to get into the to get into the harvest, to get into the fields, to start pulling in the fruits. It's sitting right there. So many people hurting, so many people wandering, so many people harassed and helpless. They don't know what to do. Lord, we pray that you would use us, enable us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Now, as we enter into communion, Father, we ask that you would ready our hearts and minds. We turn upon you now as Lord and Savior. We remember that we have sinned against you, but we thank you for your forgiveness and grace in our lives. We call upon you as Lord and Savior. We believe in your death, burial, and resurrection. And we believe that we are forgiven by your grace and have a relationship with you because of what you've done. We repent away from our sin and we turn to you with all of our hearts in this moment. We ready ourselves for communion as we remember your great work that you did. Refresh us during this time. We pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen.